Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. up wizards fans welcome to another believe in wizards podcast i just feel like i don't know we all need this right now a little cathartic uh vent session i got a couple of the homies coming on here uh in a couple minutes i've got damo and brennan of the wizards of gallery place podcast coming on here in a second i've got chase carroll coming on as well and we're just gonna kind of talk through this thing and, and see where we're at what went wrong the wizards lost 125 to 123 to the brooklyn nets that were out uh, without katie and Kyrie. They gave up 44 points to Michael Jordan. I'm sorry, Cam Thomas. And this is, you know, not atypical for a Wizard team. They've blown 20 plus point leads before. The problem is it comes on the second night of a back to back where they also gave up 124 points and a 20 plus point lead to the Portland Trailblazers the night before. So we just got to talk this thing out a little bit and, uh, you know, get it all on the record here. So we're going to get to that in a second. But first, a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. BetOnline remains your number one source for all sports betting needs this season, everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll find all the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, BetOnline is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. And also shout out to Stateside Vodka. Uh, I mentioned on the show that we're going to have them uh, join us here as a as a new official drink of the show. And I'm going to have to put that to good use during this podcast here tonight. So if you hear any cans cracking, it's one of their uh, delicious Surfside Vodka and iced tea combos. So <laughs> that's, uh, you know, if this podcast gets looser over the next half hour, on my end at least, that's, that's probably why. Uh, with that, let's just get to the conversation with the guys. Okay, got the group chat here. Uh, fellas, I appreciate you joining me after that game. I, sometimes I, I can't decide whether it's better to do these kind of things after. I know Damo and Brennan, you guys have talked about doing the spaces after, but uh, we're, we're stealing you away to do it uh, in podcast format. So maybe by the time people listen to this, you know, tomorrow or whatever, they'll be a little calmer. But I like think this back-to-back nights, the Wizards blowing two 20-point leads in literally consecutive days is on par with that Clippers loss last year. Like one loss in a vacuum, but but the fact that they did this two nights in a row to me is is like almost as disastrous. Uh, Chase, why don't we start with you here? What's your takeaway? How do you feel about that particular statement? Uh, do you think this is as bad, I guess, maybe for starters? Yeah, the, it, there's no other way of putting it. This is embarrassing. This is... Uh, as low as this franchise has been, this this is you know one of those points where uh, it's just embarrassing. You have two straight nights where you got uh, Anthony Simons looking like Tracy McGrady, and now you have Cam Thomas tonight looking like Kobe. It's like two straight nights. You got two random guys that they they seemingly made no adjustments towards. Um, and maybe you guys saw something that. That I didn't, but it uh, looks like they were just letting them run rampant two straight nights, uh, blow 
two straight 20 point leads. Um, and, and that's just to go along with last season, West Sunsell Jr. lost uh, and, and his team lost a 35 point lead uh, NBA record to the to the Los Angeles Clippers. And, and this is just another one of those stats that you have, I guess you, you could say stats um, that, that just looks so poorly on West Sunsell Jr.'s record here. Uh, in his very short stint here with the Wizards. But um, I think you can think of a lot of memorable losses here in his uh, short career here with the Wizards. But, you know, I can't think of many. <laughs> What's the biggest win in the West Sunsell Jr. Uh, tenure so far? I can't think of it. So um, that's just my takeaway here is yet another bad loss for West Sunsell Jr. Um, and they're starting to pile up for me. Tom, you shared a pretty good uh, stat in the chat there. You want to share it for folks here on the podcast about the uh, back-to-back nights and, and the history they just made? Yeah, so so Wes, man, he makes history again. I know, like you said, the, the Clippers loss last year was, you know, the biggest comeback in NBA history, 35 points, uh, you know, surrender. And then just tonight, uh, first 20-point lead blown back-to-back days in 25 years. Uh, ESPN stats and info just dropped that one. So yeah, Wes is making history for the wrong reasons. Uh, I, I I can't remember the last Wizards coach that has blown this many games. Like where I can just say like this was a coaching loss. Like you know we've had our our issues with Whitman. Of course we had our issues with Brooks. Uh, Eddie Jordan had some some issues at times. Um, but I I don't remember. I don't remember it being like this, where it's just like, dude, like call a timeout. What did you have to let him make five threes in a row? <laughs> did you have Stop to let the bleeding. him score to, uh, go on a 20 0 run? It couldn't have been a 10 0 run? run. Like it's just, just, it's just a lack of feel. Uh, he's almost like <laughs> we talk about Rui's feel for the game all the time, right? But we, we never talk about. Wes's feel for game flow and, and, you know, situation, time and score. And it's just like, it's like he, he sticks to these index cards. Like, this is what I'm going to play. This was the game plan. And no matter what's happening throughout the game to make him change course, he just does not deviate. Or when they do go off, you know, way off script, it's way, way off script. Like there was a particular lineup tonight that drove me nuts with the DeLon Wright. Uh, I want to say it was uh, Kendrick Nunn, Jordan Goodwin. Denny and Gafford. I, I didn't really understand what the point was of that one particularly. Uh, Brendan, are we at Scott Brooks is better than Wes Unsell Jr. territory yet? Like, are, are we quite there or, or where are you at, at least with that? I think it's pretty safe to say that at this point. And the only, I mean, it really just comes down to Scott Brooks, I think, is a better offensive coach. I, I, I would love to to think about what Scott Brooks could have put up offensively if he had Kuzma, Porzingis, and Beal at his disposal, and he didn't. And, you know, he had Jerome Robinson, uh, Isaac Bonga, all those other guys. But, uh, I mean, I think that Scott Brooks is better than Wes Unsell Jr. Um, to be fair, I don't think that's a, an incredibly high bar to clear. Sure. Uh, we, we really haven't had a good head coach in some time. And I, I think this is the one sport where if you have – good enough talent you can get away with some of the coaching that's not the best but at at the same time I mean all the coaches that are going to 
conference finals and NBA finals, uh, save for LeBron-led teams. I mean, for the most part, these are good, respected coaches around the NBA, and I feel like we just haven't had that. I would say Flip was probably the best coach we've had, and we didn't really give him anybody to work with. I mean, he was kind of, you know, his hands were so tied, it wouldn't have mattered, uh, you know, what what he did at that point. Guys, I think we all talk about as fans, like, this coach should have done this, should have done that. Like, what should Wes have done differently tonight to win this game? Brandon, why don't we kick it right back to you to to bounce back there? Well, I, I think... First of all, I will say it's tough when you were already coming into a game without your presumed best player and then you lose your third best player in the in the middle of the game, right? So it, it can be tricky with trying to come up with rotations and a game plan after that, trying to make sure you get the right lineups out there. But at the end of the day, like this is what you're paid to do. This is your job. You know, it's you should be prepared to to improvise in that kind of role, being at the NBA level. Like, this isn't high school or some low-level Division One program. Like, this is NBA ball. Like, this is stuff that you and your staff, your your analytics department, th- this is stuff that they should should know. So when opportunities come up like this, you're not throwing out Kispert at the four or throwing out guys late in game who can't really get a shot or, or can't defend. They don't know who's guarding who. And I feel like it's just the same thing as always whenever they collapse late game. It's just a lack of execution and urgency on the defensive end of the floor. And offensively, if one of the big three isn't carrying, then they have no shot. And to me, that's an indictment on coaching because it shouldn't be that way. Domo, this team went on its run, you know, earlier in the season for the first time where it kind of like really looked like a good team when they went with a big lineup. These last two games, it seemed like they've gone small a good amount down the stretch here. And I think that's been a matchup with the teams they're playing against, but also it felt like when they were at their best, it was because they made teams match up with them. Do you think going small tonight was part of what killed them? Yeah, I mean, it, it's this was literally a carbon copy of what happened against Portland. Like, uh, you know, Portland is gonna gonna put shooters on the floor. We know the three ball is the great equalizer, right? Mm-hmm. So you're trading threes for twos, you're gonna lose that math. Um, but I but I felt like in a in a game like this. You gotta make you gotta make those guys guard you in foul, right? Because then I think that makes them less aggressive on the other. And we kind of try to go into this, you know, shootout where you know, okay, you guys shooting threes, you're going small. Okay, we're gonna match up with that. And that's not really our strength. That hasn't been our strength all season. Um, and, and to your question about what you would have done differently with with the lineups or changes at the end of that game. I th- I would have liked to see more Jordan Good. Mm-hmm. The way the flow of the game was going, I feel like you just needed a dog out there. Like tonight was not DeLon's night. Right. Um he it just just wasn't one of his better games. He'll bounce back of course cuz he's a pro. Uh but I felt like tonight you needed Jordan Goodwin as a guy that that's a legitimate two-way guy. He can get his own shot, he can get to the rim, and then on defense he's a disruptor. Uh I just felt like they should have had him out there because the the Nets, every time they came down, that backcourt, Sumner, Cam Thompson, they saw Monte Morris on them. It was food. Yeah. They were going right at DeLon. They were screening off DeLon, and they was going up with a shot. They was getting into the body of KP, getting fouled. I mean, I don't, I can't even remember how many free throws they had, but it was, it was something crazy. So you knew their confidence was high. You needed a Jordan Goodwin in there to kind of take that, take some of that out of there. And I would have liked to see Kendrick Nunn. His athleticism and quickness with the ball, 
I feel like you could have used that too. Uh, you know, Monte and, and DeLon, like, they have certain positives with their game. But in a game like that, I felt like you need you needed more athleticism on the floor and more guys, more dog uh, with how they approach the game. And I think you would have got that from the other two guards. Chase, you got your coach hat on there. What would you have done differently? Yeah, it's it, to, to go off of what Damo said, uh, Jordan Goodwin only got 13 minutes tonight. Uh, Kendrick Nunn only got 21 minutes tonight, which, um, you know, it wasn't really Nunn's night tonight uh, for, for the minutes he played. But um, DeLon Wright kind of struggled tonight, 28 minutes. I think Wes Unsell Jr. needs to do a better job of seeing when his guys are not on that night. You just got to get somebody else in, and it's simple as that. Jordan Goodwin has been waiting on the on the bench all season. Uh, for what reason? He's been playing well, uh, especially during that early stretch of the season where he looked like our best point guard um, with DeLon right out, and now you're shelving him for what reason? You know, eight points in 13 minutes. This guy was coming in and contributing, doing everything he could in his short time, but then you pull him. So um, I, I don't like how he he kind of manages that guard spot. Sometimes I would like to see him do a little better there. Um, if it's not Morris's night, go ahead and sit him for one of the, you know, Jordan Goodwin, give somebody else a, sh a shot. Um, although, uh, you know, Morris did have a good end of the game, of course, but um, it, you know, early on, if, if your guys are not playing well, get them out. That's, that's, you know, as simple as I can put it, that's the high school basketball coach kind of way. You know, I don't think NBA coaches think the same way, but um, you know, to me, if, if you're struggling out there, I, sit on the bench. That, that's just simple as, as, as I can put it. Um, your bigs are playing well, keep feeding Porzingis. There's always a time where it seems like Porzingis is starting the game the first quarter so hot and then they stop going to him. Um, you know, tonight was a little different, 38 points for him. But, you know, there's points of the game where they just stop going to him um, when it's clearly working. And um, that's that's more so for me, the Portland game. Um, just do what's working for you. Like, why go away from what what got you that big lead in the first place? That's just how I see it. I thought when they went small or just with the one big, it allowed uh, Brooklyn to just say like, okay, we'll match you straight up. If Porzingis beats us with like 15 footers all night or post-ups or whatever, so be it because he's not going to kick it out in a position that gives DeLon Wright uh, an opportunity to put the defense on its heels or Monte a chance. You know, he might knock down a wide open shot if he gets a really clean look. Kispert might do the same, but none of them are really going to make you pay for that. At least enough times where it's, it's worthwhile for us to keep trying to to you know reverse the ball like that and it's just one of those things where i, I would have kept going to gafford to be honest with you like because this team like the guys that brooklyn had out there you can't tell me that gafford couldn't reasonably stay in front of someone like joe harris like no disrespect to joe but he's not shooting over gafford and he probably can't drive by him at this point in his career anyway so it, you could have found someone to put him on if you were worried about like the defensive matchup with them going small and instead you know, you've got Monte, like he did have a great end of game, like you mentioned, Chase, but he also got cooked. I mean, like Patty Mills was cooking him, like at least one of those Cam Thomas shots was directly over Monte's little arms. Like it, it, Cam Thomas looked like MJ at the end of that, like jazz series, you know, with the push off kind of 15 foot fade away uh, at the end of the game there. So I, I'm just kind of at a loss for for what they were trying to do or what they saw. It seemed very 
reactionary. So I don't even think it's that they didn't make adjustments. They just didn't make ones that at least I can can kind of rationalize, uh, you know, yeah. from, from where I'm I'm sitting at least. Uh, I don't know, guys. And anything else that do you think was especially bad tonight that we saw that you personally would have gone away from? And anybody's welcome to jump in here at any point. Yeah, I definitely want to touch on that KP point because this to me is kind of becoming a theme with him. And I, I don't I don't put it on so much on him. Um, I just think it's kind of just like game flow. They, they they go away from it. But, you know, his 38 points he had tonight, 16 of them was in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. That means you only had 22 points the rest of the three quarters in a in a close that what became a close game. How is that possible when you're you're foot taller than just about everybody else out there? Like it he's I saw a graphic, I think it was uh I forgot who put it out, but like KP is like like MVP level in the first quarter. Like he's ridiculous in the first quarter, but second half, fourth quarter, he's like just okay. He's just like out there. This is I don't understand why that's not something against teams like Portland and the Nets team that are are small in their front court, why you don't kind of just like spam that. I'm with you. Um, Brendan, where were you on Denny tonight? I guess Uh, like, obviously he kind of just didn't make it into the game in in a realistically at all in the second half of that Portland game. And there was a lot of talk about that. Maybe I missed this and you guys feel free to correct me here. I don't think I saw Denny guard Cam Thomas much, if at all tonight. And if he's kind of our best wing defender, like Cam Thomas is, is smaller and maybe a little more dynamic than Denny, but He's not an insane athlete. It's not like he's going to blow by him. Most of the time he was beating us with jumpers. Like I, I would have tried to put Denny on him more uh, if you're going to have Denny out there in those minutes. Otherwise, if you're not going to give him the ball and let him create, I, I don't know what the point was with some of these these decisions. Sometimes I get a little confused when Denny's on the floor with who they have him guarding. Uh, I, I think – I don't know if it's they try to keep him out of foul trouble and preserve him, but there's definitely a lot of games I've watched. And I haven't watched too many full games this year. But the ones I have watched, sometimes they do a good job of it. But oftentimes I'm left like, why is Denny on – you know, um, I'm just throwing out an example here. Why is he on Peyton Pritchard and, and not on Jason Tatum? Like just as an example, I haven't seen that personally this year. But those are the types of questions I often ask myself like, I don't know what what the what the thought process is with trying to keep him on inferior guys offensively with the other team's personnel when they should be having him guard the guys that can get a bucket can get to the rim because I know that, that Denny does foul a lot and he definitely did foul Cam Thomas a little bit there at the end but he's one of your best defenders and he's a patient defender for the most part he does have a problem with using his body but I would say generally speaking that he's a very patient defender and I feel like those are the types of guys you want guarding their ball handlers and the clutch. And, and so back to your point with, with guarding Cam Thomas, I mean, he definitely should have been on him to close the game. And who knows, maybe that's a situation where he gets held up off a dribble and it leads to a shot clock violation or a turn, turnover. But, you know, we wouldn't know. Um, circling back real quick to immediate changes that uh, I would make to the team, and people are going to disagree, but and we kind of touched on this on our podcast the other day and I was kind of joking, but I would seriously consider starting Kendrick Nunn at this point. And I know that he doesn't know probably the, the full playbook yet and all that, but out of all the point guards who can apply the most pressure on a defense, it's Kendrick Nunn. Um, I know Monte is probably the best shooter, but Kendrick can shoot the ball a little bit himself is 
a little bit better defensively uh, still leaves you right for the bench, or I think is probably a better fit for him. But I would consider starting Kendrick Nunn because it's, I know Monte's been playing better decently, but if he's not spot shooting, I'm just not quite sure what he does to help everyone else. And, and I think that they need someone who can constantly apply more pressure at the rim. And I think Nunn gives you a little bit of that. I've been a shameless Jordan Goodwin homer all season to me. If you're only going to play him 12 minutes and he's going to look good in those 12 minutes, like just don't play him at all. Like if you're worried about, he only gets 50 games, you know, as a two way contract and you don't have some plan to convert him. It's a waste. Just give those 12 more minutes, spread them amongst Kendrick or Delon or Monte or whoever, like these guys aren't going to get that tired that spelling them for 12 minutes did that much. To me, I thought Goodwin was like as effective as any of their guards. Like he mm-hmm. wasn't crazy productive, but he actually like had people on their heels a little bit. Like Patty Mills could not stay in front of Goodwin and he collapsed the defense a couple of times. And there was one where like, I think Kispert missed a three or whatever, but he got somebody a good look and then like immediately came out the next play after that. Uh, Chase, why can, why can they not seem to decide what to do with Goodwin? Is it simply just like, contract politics and and they don't want to play him at the expense of these other guys are they trying to showcase guys before the deadline like where why is goodwin on the island here i guess i think there's there's a whole bunch of different politics going on in this one um a lot of it being morris being a a west huncell jr guy coming from denver you know that's that's his guy um so you know he's going to get his minutes he played 33 minutes tonight um and for whatever reason was the guy who decided I'm, I'm going to be the guy down the stretch um, and, and good on him. Somebody had to do it, but um, to your point, Jordan Goodwin, what, what does Monte Morris provide that something that, you know, Goodwin cannot, and I, I can't really pinpoint anything other than maybe he's um, he's safe with the ball. You, when you have guys like KP uh, Kuz and Brad on the court, you can have a guy like Monte and maybe it makes more sense, but you know, a night like tonight where you need somebody who's going to go out there and provide, going to, uh, you need somebody who can, can shoulder that load scoring and provide obviously a defensive, uh, spark, which was much needed against Cam Thomas. You needed somebody, you need to do something clearly, whatever you had out there was not working. So, um, I would have loved to see more Goodwin out there on him. I know he was a, a solid defender in all the, all the, you know, time he got earlier on in the season. Um, you know, I thought he filled in real well defensively for right, uh, in that early stretch, but, um, I'd like to see him out there more, you know, for sure. I'd, I'd love to see Morris, you know, trade deadline coming up. I'd love to see if we could possibly get something for him. Um, but I, you know, I don't think there's really a big market out there for him. Maybe he's in another type of deal that we're making, um, not the centerpiece, obviously, but, um, yeah, I think there's a little too much going on there, uh, at the guard position. Now that you bring in Kendrick Nunn, who's definitely shown he's capable of, um, providing minutes himself. I think somebody's got to be the odd man out there, and I don't think it should be Goodwin. I think it should be Monte Morris personally. I agree. Not at all. Yeah. On the post game, they were talking about you know Monte had this great game, and and he did make some clutch shots down the stretch. But Damo, at least it felt this way to me. Every time one of their guys hit a shot, I felt like it was over Monte. Did I make that up, or or was was he no. rough on the defensive end down the stretch? Yeah, I mean he's rough on the defensive end. Most times down the stretch. I mean, we saw it in the OKC game, right? Like he's in there against against SGA and it's a bucket right over top of his head. Like 
no resistance. I, and it's not his fault. Like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to kill him. Like he's not trying, but it's just, it's physics, right? Like he doesn't have, it's a reason why he was the 52nd pick in the draft. Like he doesn't have the foot speed, the athleticism, the long arms. Like he doesn't, you know, the size really to really make it difficult for NBA level scores. So that's why he's pretty much been a career backup player. Um, and so, you know, and then on this team, you know, even the shots he made at the end of the game, they were kind of just, he didn't get by anybody. He just pulled up because he can't, he can't blow by you. Like, mm-hmm. so he's literally a guy where in those moments where the defense is tight, you know, it's one possession game. He's a guy like, if I'm a defender, I'm like, I know you're not getting past me. I'm going to give you the, like, you get, you're going to have to shoot a jump shot, a, a contested jump shot over me. And if you make it, you make it. But I know you ain't getting to this rim. Like, no no chance in hell. So that's why it's just, it's just, I, I think, I think the GM is going to have to make the decision for Wes because if Monte is here, he's going to play. Period, point blank. So if you want to see more Goodwin, then you probably need to root for Monte getting moved. I'm almost at the point where, like, this team, likes to switch one through four at the very least a good amount. Sometimes they switch one through five, depending on how they're set up. I would switch two through five. And I would just say, Monte, you're little, like bust your ass trying to get through every screen here possible. And we're going to try to match you up on guys that aren't going to like take advantage of you off the dribble. Like I know you to you to Watanabe is like six inches taller than Monte, but like chase him off the three point line, make him put it on the floor and pressure him as a ball handler. That's shit that people do to our guys. And we never seem to kind of do that back to them. Like, this is a gross oversimplification, but if stuff works against you, try to do the stuff that works against you to other teams. And and I never see us do that. I don't know if it's a philosophy thing. I would have gone zone a little bit tonight. I didn't. I don't think I saw that at any point. So I'm I'm not sure why. Like, I, I think I saw a couple people say, if you're going to roast Wes Unzel Jr., explain specifically what you didn't like. Well. I don't like when when they just like, oh, well, this isn't working for us. They've scored nine consecutive transition baskets. Okay, um, guess we'll just hope it happens. And then finally call a timeout when you've blown your entire lead. I just. I think, you know, Wes's hands are somewhat tied. The personnel is the personnel. But at a certain point, like. You you got to like put your guys in the position to be like most successful, and and I don't think they did that for almost anyone here tonight other than maybe KP early. And then, like you said, they. They went away from that too. And I don't think that was some big, great adjustment that Brooklyn made. No. Um, Brendan, did you see any adjustments that either Portland made or the Nets made that was so like game changing that we couldn't re counter it? Not really. They just played more aggressively and they were more proactive when they had the ball. I mean, it really was simple as the, the other night in Portland. Um, I mean, Simons make shot, give Simons ball. Simon's open again. <laughs> Simon's make open three pointer. Like it's not rocket science. It's not some secret math or game plan that the Wizards got to put out there. And it's a little bit frustrating too because I don't want to put it all on coaching. Like, and I said this in our group chat, but when they say like, and I know Kuzma had kind of made a little bit of a comment about personnel, and I know that some of that is on coaching, but it's like guys. You 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 don't know these players like most of the time like these are guys that you've been seeing for like years now, and, and even if you haven't seen these guys, if you see a guy like make three three pointers in a row, 
well, shit, maybe we should make that an emphasis and communicate on the floor that we need to, to guard that guy next time. Face guard him. Do whatever the hell you got to do. I don't know. But it's, it's just things like that. And I feel like there's a, a lack of desire to communicate. I don't think it's for a lack of ability. And I don't know if it's because they don't respect Wes. I don't know. It, it seems a lot of the time like our, our guys can get very disinterested very quickly. And I'm not sure what exactly is the reason behind that. There are very few coaches in the NBA right now, I think, that are like perfect at every aspect of coaching. Normally, they have a staff that seems to complement them. And I don't know what the specialties of like the 14 assistant coaches that Wes seems to have actually are. But all I know is that when these guys talk at halftime, very rarely does one of them say anything where I'm like, hell yeah, like I can't wait to see them do that. Now I know it's coach speak and they can't say a whole lot and divulge what they're going to do for the second half. But at some point, like even NBA players need someone to like inspire or motivate them. And I don't see any of that kind of personality from any of these guys. Like you need an MF -er or a former player or something that like challenges you or challenges your pride a little bit. I hope right. James Posey would be that guy. He doesn't even ever get up off the bench. It doesn't seem like, and he's like three rows behind them half the time. So I'm, Again, I've said this on the show before. I, I I don't mean it to sound as fucked up as it is, but at a certain point, if I'm a six foot seven NBA player and I'm making a hundred million dollars for my career, the short six foot white guy on the bench that's sort of like, you know, monotone and not really excitable, I, I'm not responding to that particularly well. Like somebody's gotta get you hyped. And if it's not them, it needs to be another one of these players. And uh Brad doesn't do it. I don't think KP does it. Kuzma seems to be the guy that does it, but when you lose him for the night, I think that's the thing that this roster seems to not be able to replace when he's out. Chase, do you think there's anybody else on this team that that should step up or you'd like to see step up more in, in that kind of like leadership role? Well, they always talk about how Taj Gibson and um, how great of a leader he is, but um, you know, when he's not actually on there, you know, he's our Udonis Haslam. So um, at this point, we need somebody who's actually on the floor who's going to get these guys you know, in the right mindset at the time. You, know, you got Taj Gibson on the bench or in practice, uh, you know, mentoring your guys. That's great. You do need guys like that along, you know, on your team for sure. Um, and ideally not playing as often as Taj Gibson does play. Um, but there's got to be, you know, it's got to be from Brad. He's not obviously playing tonight, but. You do need that more consistently from him. Uh, you know, obviously that's been a big drawback on Brad um, from our fan base. A lot of them, at least, have have not liked his leadership. Um, you know, some of the things, maybe his, his facial expressions on the bench or uh, when things aren't going right, maybe he's, he's not always there, um, you know, locked in with the team. He needs to be that guy, whether he's playing or not. And, you know, I, I think he, you know, I don't want to, I'm not there on the bench. I don't know what Brad's doing. Uh, it seems like he was pretty engaged tonight, actually. So, um, but but he needs to be that guy. Really, simply put, you're you're the highest paid guy in the league. You need to lead like you are. Damo, it seems like Anthony Gill is supposed to be the other guy that brings leadership and good vibes, and he's been out the last two game, uh, two games in health and safety protocols. Do you think that's the reason why the Wizards lost? They just missed Anthony Gill so much. Uh. I don't know if I would go there, but uh, and shout out to Anthony Gill too, man. Uh, the the uh, the uh, 
Portland game, I sat behind his family and they were they were amazing. Um, but but yeah, I, I just you know I I you you talked about before. I think you had mentioned it, Matt, that like Kuzma is kind of that bridge between the players and the coach. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of see that on the floor. Like he's the guy that kind of galvanizes guys. He's the guy that kind of in post games kind of gives you the real, the real, real on what's happening. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know him going out. I think they missed that. Not just his play on the floor, but they missed you know kind of how he's able to kind of get the young guys in sync, kind of kind of be the rah rah guy to kind of get these guys motivated to have some pride on the floor. Because even with Brad, like I just think Brad is just kind of like a like a Joe Johnson type personality. Like he's just not, he's not going to galvanize guys really, but he's not, he's not going to be a drama King either. He's just going to be, you know, Hey man, I'm just, I hoop. And I, I lead by example. Yeah. Yeah. I lead by example. Like you see me work, you see the work I put in, now do it. Uh, you know, but he's not a galvanizer type guy. So, um, you know, I don't really, I don't really expect that from him, but, but yeah, not having coups there, you know, dealing with that injury, I think definitely affected him tonight because I think the rest of the guys are just kind of nice guys that kind of sometimes they just kind of get casual with the game. And, you know, when you see those young bulls over there with the Nets, Cam Thompson, he's trying to prove to people he can play in this league. Sumner, like, these guys are dogs. Like, they like, man, look, when when KP looked off Sumner, I just saw the man, that his whole he looked like, one of them dudes like that they got foul hard when you playing street ball. Yeah, he's getting up with that, his fist clenched. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like it was like you just disrespecting me, just looking me off like that. Oh, I'm about to show you. And then from that point on, it was a whole different game, man. It was a whole different game, and you needed somebody on the floor to say, "Nah, man, go get in his ass." Like enough of this shit. And you didn't have it. You didn't have it. It'd be great if we could rewind Paul Pierce like seven years and just bring him back again. Because, like, I know we talk about the the low key veterans on the roster. If we need those guys to motivate our team, we are in trouble. At least Paul Pierce was. We all knew he was on his way to being a Hall of Famer, and the guy could still play, and gave us one of the the most memorable game winners that we'll have as Wizards fans. Like, we're missing that kind of guy. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy, but I think we're missing a guy that can get on our star players that has spent time in the league, is well-respected, is a baller. And really, throughout the rest of our team, we just don't have that guy, and we haven't had that type of guy in a long time. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And Brendan, that's such a great point. And, and I definitely agree because I, I wonder about and that's where I was going with this leader thing too. Like if it's not the coaching staff that motivates you, it's gotta be one of the players. And Taj Gibson even came in and said like, no one's going to listen to me at 37 years old. If I'm sitting on the bench and I don't play anymore. Paul Pierce had that cachet. where like, if he says something, he, he knows what the fuck is up. Like you have to listen to that. Mm-hmm. And, and Kuz being the only guy left with like real, actual, tangible NBA success in his track record. Like, 
I think he can command that and they have to listen to Brad, but like if Brad's not going to be like the the more outspoken guy, that just leaves Kuzma. And if he's back in the locker room getting an ankle taped or something, who who gut checks these guys? So you see some of these younger teams where they had a Vince Carter, even at 40 years old, all those guys still knew who the fuck Vince Carter was. Like n- nobody's taking Anthony Gill that seriously. And again, I don't mean this to be like an Anthony Gill shit fest, but like you can't, it's just, they ask him to do more than I think he's capable of bringing. Like Denny is not looking at Gill and being like, okay, you know, like, what are you going to tell me that I don't already know? I'm already better now than, than you will ever be. So it's just, I I don't think it it carries the same weight. Chase, is there some way to manufacture that you think? Like, can, is there somebody that could go like go get or add or, or how do you kind of account for, for that kind of stuff? We'll definitely need somebody. Uh, you know, we, we probably tried to get, uh, Will Barton to be that guy most likely, you know, that's probably one of the things they wanted uh, in a guy like Will Barton was he's a guy who plays, plays a lot and has been in the league a long time. Obviously he knows what he's doing, but uh, he's having a bad year, honestly. So it's tough to listen to a guy who's struggling um, to provide that leadership for you. Uh, and and a guy who's getting now uh, DNPs. Um, so obviously he's on the way out. You need to bring a guy in probably at this deadline who can, uh, provide that leadership, but can also play. So I'd love to see a veteran who can come in and, and um, on the court score. Obviously, we need somebody who can score. We need somebody who can defend, obviously, because um, because you can never have too many defenders. Our guy, DeLon Wright, obviously, we love what he does defensively, but he wasn't on uh, his normal defensive mode tonight. Um, so I'd, I'd love to have another option there. Um, but But as you guys have alluded to, the, the leadership, somebody who can actually play, um, provide solid minutes and is out there during crunch time on the court. Uh, and you can look at them, listen to them and, and get real insight on on how, how are we going to win this game? Because we see we've always had issues over the years, closing games for whatever reason. I'd love to s- go get a guy who's shown that he can close a game, um, a guy who's played in big games before. That's that's something I think, you know, we have Kuz, he's won a championship, and that's probably why a lot of these guys look up to him in that way, is he's been there and done that. Um, but but as you said, he's out tonight. We don't have that other guy who can provide that. I, I'd like to see that at the deadline for sure. Tom, I really name. quick, Matt, yeah, do you care if I... No, jump in. you guys are welcome to jump in at any point here. Uh, I, I'm trying to point guard you, but but just take the ball, you know, whenever you're ready to go, take it. The only thing I was going to add to that, and I know that we talk about Kuzma being a leader a lot, and he's won a championship, this and that, but, I mean, the guy's 26, 27 years old. He needs a Paul Pierce himself because uh, there's times where it looks rough for him, and he needs to be told, hey, you know, you need to chill. It's just locking on the defensive end of the floor, whatever you need to say, and he doesn't have that guy. And And for a guy like Kuzma, who really was presumed to be a six man or a bench player until he came here. I just feel like that that's a lot of pressure to, to put on a guy to, to be expected to, to lift this team up by himself. Um, given the circumstances and the context surrounding the organization, it's just a lot of pressure. And I feel like it's a little bit unreasonable to, to ask him to be the, uh, you know, the, the one and only true leader of this basketball team, you know, they need more of it. And I think that's kind of what we've seen throughout the years too, and why they haven't been good. They've had some talented teams or, or teams that you can get by with based on talent, uh, you know, 
decent enough, but I just feel like they haven't had the leadership. And I know to, to chase this point earlier, he was saying that Bradley Beal should be that leader, but I just don't think that he's ever been that guy and he hasn't really ever needed to be. And I think it's kind of hard to, to break that habit at this point in his career. So I think that they need someone else. I don't know who that veteran player is because the Paul Pierce situation was so unique. Uh, I don't know if we would be able to, to replicate that, but at the end of the day with Bradley Beal, I mean, they, they paid Bradley Beal to be Bradley Beal. And I know most of us disagree with it. Well, this is part of the reason why it's just because he doesn't. And again, we, we're not in every practice, every shoot around. Um, we don't hear what he says on the bench, but we can definitely tell he's not the most active or forthcoming about, you know, being a leader, helping teammates. And, and again, you know, you would think part of that comes with the job being the highest paid player, but I think that they paid Bradley Beal for the Bradley Beal that they've seen for so far in his career. Um, and, and they were scared of getting worse. So mm-hmm. I, I that, think that's why. That was one of those things he said in one of those summer podcasts was how, you know, he's the first guy in the gym. He's not going to tell like nobody that comes in and doesn't work as hard as him is going to tell him shit. And I think that's how he looks at it. Like I'm here. You see when I'm here, you should match me. He's not the one going up and telling somebody like you need to get your ass here an hour before I do. Uh, to to Brendan's point, I've got a name for you guys. This is a guy I would pursue as an assistant coach immediately. Uh, he's got championship pedigree. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's the guy that taught Kuzma how to like see the game, how to watch film. He was an MF or defensively. And he would definitely not be afraid to scream in somebody's face if they were like acting a fool. And I heard today that he wants to join the Kentucky coaching staff in the offseason. That's Rajon Rondo. Do you think that that would be a name that could actually help this team in some way as kind of that that galvanizing present? Again, I'm talking strictly off court at this point. I, I fully realize he is cooked on the court. But why not add, you know, if you've got 15 coaches anyway, it's Ted's money. Like, let's go get him as an assistant. Rondo is definitely a motherfucker, man. Yeah. Like. But, you know, in a good way and sometimes it could be in a bad way. You know, we've seen some dust ups he's, he's had with coaching staffs, but I feel like it's because Rondo knows so much. Like from everything I've heard about him, he's one of the greatest minds to ever step on a basketball court. Like just the way he knows, he knows everybody's plays. He knows what you're going to do before you do it. He knows where everybody's supposed to be on the floor. And it's almost like he's a coach. So when you got when you you have him playing for you and then you got a coach that's kind of not doing things that make sense he's gonna say something and it might not come out how you want it to come out and it might not be friendly and that could cause a rift i don't know that this locker room could handle that but but i'm with you that type of player or that type of uh influence would definitely to me be a, a welcome addition chase what do you think yeah i'm i'm with you there uh that's a good name we we Probably don't have the minutes for him if we're talking totally you know, off court. I, he, coach. He, I, I don't he want, we, yeah, he wants to move into coaching, he said. So yeah. I'm if, just talking strictly as uh, like a, a, a Gortat kind of assistant. He's sitting on our bench. I'm I'm all about that. I'm all about he he was a as you guys have said, t- t- tough MF man. That guy, he's not gonna take shit. So we do need somebody like that on our bench. Uh, as you've alluded to, the guys that we we do have there probably uh not the most intimidating or um, going to get the most out of you probably. So give me Rondo. I'm, I'm for it. 
Brendan, you're the, the, I think the youngest member of the four of us here, you and Chase are both close. So you guys can weigh in here. Dom and I are a little older. I'm going to, I don't want to speak for him too much, but the chances of us turning into billionaires at, at some point here, are probably pretty low, you know? Uh, so I'm going <laughs> to have you guys put your billionaire hat on. You own the wizards. You're sitting there and you realize you've just made history for the second time in two seasons because your coach has blown two huge leads in a row. I, I asked this a couple episodes ago too. At what point do you get embarrassed? Like as a guy who has to have a big ego to make all that money, uh, you know, like when do you just say like, all right, uh, enough of this shit. Like we got to do something different. All right, Chase, pressure's on you, man. You're going first. <laughs> uh, that time was years ago, um, but but now it's now. Um, yeah, it's it's embarrassing to you have, if we're strictly talking Wes Unsell Jr. here, um, Last season, blowing a 35-point lead. Uh, this season now, we have this this stat of two straight nights blowing at least a 20-point lead. That's two of the worst stats that I can think of on a coaching resume in your first two seasons. And a lot of the blowback that I've seen on Wizards Twitter is, well, he, he's, he's a first-time coach, now second-year coach. Um, he's had so, so many different players come in here already in the two years, good coaches figure it out. you you put good players on the, on your, uh, and, and right now I think we have the best roster we've had better than, than really anything that I think, um, Scott Brooks had other than maybe his first season with John Wall. Um, you know, he took, took over a pretty solid team that year, but other than that, um, as, as Brendan alluded to earlier, we had a bunch of Isak Bongas out there. There's no excuses now. You have a good roster out there. So um, if you're not getting it done, and I'd say a, a year and a half in here, he has not gotten it done. You missed the playoffs in your first year and a year that uh, a whole bunch of turmoil in your, lo- in your locker room. I don't know how much of that is on him. Clearly, there was a bunch of different players clashing heads with each other. Uh, some of that has to be on him, though, I'm sure. Um, and, and this year, it seems like there's a great – locker room great chemistry going on there for the most part so what's the problem now like where do you put the blame now I I I don't think this is a perfect roster by any means but I definitely think it's better than what this record is portraying whether um injuries have played a part for sure but I'm I'm not giving him those excuses anymore you know it's it's two straight nights blowing 20 point leads to Anthony Simons and Cam Thomas uh it's embarrassing (laughs) simply put um i will say and dama can back me up on this because we've had side conversations before after we record podcasts i think i've said this in our group chat uh too after last season i would have fired him and i think it's a little tricky now because mid-season when you're trying to to make the playoffs and if you plan on keeping this core three together, I think giving them the best shot to reach the playoffs means you have to stick with West through the season. Uh, unless there is an option where a team is going to let one of their top assistant coaches leave midseason, which I don't think is going to happen. I think the organizations have the, the right to say no to that. I think the the Chris Finch hiring was very rare, so I don't foresee that type of scenario happening here uh, I do think that you write it out for the season just to kind of see where it goes but regardless of the result and, and I mean the result would have to be like 
second round um, Eastern Conference finals type. But I, I think you just keep him, ride it out, and you go into the offseason with the idea that you're going to look for someone else. But I maintain I would have fired him after last year. And, and I'll, I'll just point out our opponent tonight, Jack Vaughn, took over midseason, oh, and he's yeah. completely changed the outlook of the Brooklyn Nets. Whether, you know, obviously Kyrie's changing the whole outlook, but. And they've got a whole uh, lot more bullshit going on in their locker they room have, than we do. Way yeah. More and, and he's, they, they started terribly under Nash, and he came in there and immediately changed things. Um, so if there's a guy out there that that's available to just plug in and, and like that, obviously, if I if I was a billionaire like Ted, uh, and I actually cared about my franchise, I'm I'm getting the guy in there who can do the job right now. And I I unfortunately just don't think uh, a year and a half in that Wes Unsell Jr. can do that. He hasn't showed me that he can. And I just don't think he he will ever show that. Yeah, Dama, you got to see Wes Unseld Senior coach the Wizards, right? Like the, yeah. those guys always played hard for him. Yeah, I don't know that that's the first thing I would say about guys playing for Wes Unseld Junior so far. Like, can can he get it done? Can he be the guy? Yeah, I I haven't seen anything to to that that's proof positive of that. Like, I I just don't know what he hangs his hat on. Um, you know, he came in with a defensive reputation, kind of an X and O detail guy. You know, they, it's funny because they kind of tried to uh, juxtapose him to Scott Brooks as as this detail oriented guy, um, as if Scott Brooks was just out there just rolling the ball out and hey guys, just do whatever. I mean, um, that's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he, maybe he we should go back to that. Yeah. I mean, he had a he had a top ten offense with Davis yeah. Bertans as his number two. Like, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, we can't get a top ten offense, and we got three twenty point scores. So, uh, you know, he was doing something, but I, I just think, you know, I don't I don't really see the redeeming qualities. Like, I asked on Twitter, I was like, you know, would you even want West coaching a rebuilding team? Like, I just don't know. Like, if you can't lead guys, you can't galvanize men. Mm. Like, and then you're not like this savant X and O guy, like. Or like what are adjuster you? in game, what are you like? What is your what is your redeeming quality? You're just a you're just you're just out there on the sidelines, just drawing up shit. Like I, I don't know if y'all can tell me show tell me something. Maybe I'm missing. Like I just don't know what it is that Wes hangs his hat on. Like can y'all name like three things that you're like okay yeah Wes is one of the best in the league at this. I, I've shared this with you guys off record here. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast or not, but. A friend of mine that works for an agency had a player uh, on the Brooklyn Nets during the Nash stuff, and he said that Nash was drawn up like like unreal game changing offensive shit. And KD and Kyrie were like, "Nah, we're good, man. Like we're not we're not being off ball. Like you can't have an offense with no ISOs for both of us." So they just went off book, and that could be happening with Wes. Maybe he's drawing up all this like unbelievable shit. I don't know. I'm sure he draws up you know, perfectly reasonable stuff like everybody else. But at the end of the day, if you drop something good and your players aren't, it's not resonating with them and they're not running it, that's still your problem at the end of the day too. And you're not cutting the whole roster. So if you can't get them to buy in, it doesn't matter what you draw up. Uh, and I, I think, again, I think my stance is that it's like a confluence of of all these things, a flawed roster, uh, flawed coaching, flawed ownership, like all this stuff leads us to just where we can't really get over the top. If any of those kind of components were above and beyond, you got some crackpot on Twitter that maybe want to 
on Ted's payroll saying it's the fans fault. I, I don't know. Maybe it's all of our fault too, but uh, it's just, one is that someone in particular, Matt? Is that someone um, there, in might, there might be somebody we all know, and, you know had some discussions with, but uh, you know, maybe. But I, I wonder like, cause last year, like you had guys, even when they were 10 and three, you had guys complaining about roles. That yeah. to me is a direct reflection of coaching. Yeah. Like even at for a first year guy, like, you got guys complaining about roles even when you're winning. Like, mm-hmm. that's a problem. And then, of course, it ended up imploding, yep. right, when they started losing. And then you have it now where, you know, you're making history, blowing 20-point leads. Uh, and, and I just keep going back to it, man. When I be listening to some of Kuz's comments after game, man, like, he keeps talking about lack of adjustments, mm-hmm. having us play a certain way to make teams adjust to us. And then you see the coach go out and just get these games away like this, and it's just like, I know he got to be thinking like, what the hell? Like, this is not, this is, I'm, the Lakers coach is escaping my name, escaping Donovan my name. Yeah. Uh, no, the, the previous that they oh, wanted to Frank, Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel. Like, yeah. like juxtaposed to Frank Vogel, I know he's kind of like, what is this? Mm-hmm. What is this? But obviously you can't, you can't say that. But I, I, I just, yeah, I don't see the redeeming quality with West, man. You've got Denny and West. I, I know for a fact that there's some amount mm-hmm. of, I don't want to say friction maybe, but they're not totally on the same page. And now all of a sudden Denny's we've got unleashed Denny and he's playing much better. If I'm him, I'm like, see dumbass, like you should have been playing me like this the whole time. And (laughs) does that help your vibe with the coach? Are you going to be more bought in if you've suddenly shown him up and proved him wrong? Like, I I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but um, guys, one last question. I'll get you out of here before I keep you up all night. What is this team? Are they the team that went six and oh against, Honestly, let's be upfront, like relatively meh competition, if not below average competition. Are they the 0-2 team that just dropped games to two, one struggling team and one pretty good team without all its best players? Are they both? Like, what are the Wizards? I think they're what they, what they we are, are, what they thought they were. That's going to be my answer. Yeah. They're like a little of this team. Like, they're like a... They're a 38 to 43 win team like that. That's what depending on different circumstances, who's healthy, who's out in and out of the lineup, who they playing like that. That's just who they are. Like and 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 it's sad because it's like this is the most talent they've had in probably what, five years, six years now. Um, But even that is like capped at like 43 wins. Yeah, I'd say there's two different ways you can put this. Their roster is a, I'd say, six to eight seed as far as personnel in my eyes. They have the talent to be maybe even a five seed if you, you know, if if health permits, uh, KP is healthy, Brad's healthy, Kuz is healthy. I think this is a good roster. But is this coach to be a five to eight seed? I don't think they are. I think they're coached to be a play-in team, if, if that. They may not even make the play in if they're you know they're blowing 20 point leads um against bad teams as you put it so now we're gonna probably start hitting a stretch of games where we're playing better teams um we were beating who we were supposed to beat for the most part now we're not doing that um this this should be an eight game win streak and now we're we're back a square one uh two game losing streak the vibes might be off in the locker room and now you got two injured players um things could go downhill quickly if if you don't make adjustments so hopefully Wes Umsell Jr. makes his adjustments that he needs to make 
and uh, we get back on track here towards being. I'd like to be a top eight seed at the very least and be in control of your play and destiny. Yeah, I think Domo said what I was going to say. The, the team just is what it is. And like Chase said, I think the team is talented. I think really if we're talking just talent at the top of your roster, and I think that we have some role players that are actually decent, I think we could be better than a six seed realistically. But – when you mix in the the general manager being inconsistent, the head coach is clearly just not good. I mean, let's just call that what it is. Well, then you get what you get, like Dama said. Okay, you, you'll you'll get the the thirty eight to to forty three wins, maybe even below the thirty eight if two of those two of our big three have to miss a decent amount of time. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. the the reality that we're facing. So maybe you get some some bench help um, as long as the coaching doesn't kill you. This team should still be a playing team, um, but that's that's kind of where I'm looking at it right now. I mean, but we're not going to see the, the team at its fullest potential until they change the head coach, and that's kind of where I'm at with that. I, I can't argue with anything any of you guys said, and the one thing I do wonder about is, yes, our roster is probably the most talented one we've had in six, seven years, but when you look at, like, even though they're flawed lists, ESPNs or the ringers like top hundred list or whatever, the whole rest of that list is just better. Like the league is better. The league is deeper. Right. So like, are we better and deeper because of anything special we've done or just because there's a lot more infusion of talent in the league? And I don't know, we can't be so incompetent. We can't even just like bring in at least average or above average guys. So like, I don't know if it's anything that we should give them credit for other than just like, that's they had better options available than I don't know Isak Bonga at this point. Yeah, I, I just wonder, like, and I, you know, I wonder what you guys would think, like, with the league kind of being just filled with so much parity, and like, there's so many teams that don't even have 30 wins right now that are just mid. Like, they're kind of like they're having these same discussions we're having. Mm-hmm. You know, the Mavs, the Spurs. I mean, the the Mavs. I'm looking at the Mavs and, and Warriors. They're both around 500. The Portland. Portland, all these teams are like just stuck in the mud of mediocrity. And it's like, I wonder if that changes the calculus on how, what move you make. Do you make a drastic move or do you kind of just stay pat and hope, hey, if we get healthy, we can kind of separate ourselves? Or do you just go all in and say, bump it? We can put ourselves, we're two games, we're three, four games away from a top four seed. Why not just go for it? You know, I, I'm curious to see how the parity kind of changes changes people's mindset with the rest of this year coming up. I think well, that, I think that's – that, sorry, Matt. I was just going to say, I, I think that's why the value has been so high for guys this year in the trade market. I mean, we saw Rudy Gobert go for four first. We saw DeJounte Murray go for a bunch of draft picks. Uh, we know that there's reportedly a team that's willing to give three picks for OG and Anobi. Well, I think the reason why is because of what Dom was said with the, with the parity in the league and depending on which team you are, if you make just a, a small addition like that, it could go a long way with where you are relative to the standings. And obviously the, the home court gives you a better shot. So, you know, the as it goes, the higher seeds you get, the, the likelier chance you are to make it to the finals, this and that. I mean, simple math. But, but I think that the deadline is either going to go one of two ways. There's going to be a bunch of teams making – a lot of moves to try and improve and, it, and it's going to be risky or teams are going to get scared to get worse and they're going to do nothing. 
I, I don't, I'm not sure that there's going to be uh, I mean, it, now that I say it, there will probably be a middle ground to that, but I really think it's going to be one or the other. I think all it takes is one team to just be like, all right, F it. We're putting all of our chips in the middle of the table and everybody else will either panic and follow suit, or you might see them cash out and say, all right, if the, all these teams, if the price is so steep that people want to be buyers, maybe we have to be sellers to be smart long-term. So I, I think you're, you're right, Brennan, you're going to see that big divergence of just like, that gap may go away pretty quickly here of, of people yeah. that like, you know, aren't, aren't willing to be stuck in the middle anymore. Um, Chase, I think we all probably have an opinion on what they should do at the deadline. Uh, do, do you think they will be a buyer? Do you think they should be a buyer? Um, what do you, what do you expect from them? Well, this team should have been sellers for the past couple of years now, uh, in, in terms of Bradley Beal, obviously, but, um, They've made their decision that they're going all in with this three. So in my mind, if you're you're putting your stamp on this big three, um, you got to make some moves now. I've Tommy's obviously shown a poor draft record, so uh, I'm not necessarily too enamored with picks for him. So you know, as far as selling um, these guys, I'm not too if if he's still in the building, I'm not too excited with the possibilities of those picks, to be honest with you, which is unfortunate. I think most franchises would be super excited. You know, most fan bases would be super excited with uh, the possibility of of a bunch of first round picks. But to me, I see a bunch of Johnny Davises being selected. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't view a first round pick as um, as highly as I may maybe once did. So. Um, yeah, I'd I'd be willing to mortgage, you know, obviously this has to be for the right player, the one that can take us to that next level. What is that next level? Um, I guess for us is just being a top eight seed, but um, I'd welcome that at this point, honestly. I'd welcome at least showing that we can take that next step um, and that there's a foundation here to to possibly build something with this big three moving forward that you're clearly deciding on, on moving forward with. Um, so get the pieces in that that fit with them uh, and can can move forward for years to come, not just for this year. Uh, guys, any parting shots from anybody before we wrap this thing up? Um, I would say for what I would do at the deadline if I was Tommy, and this is going to be a really boring and lame answer, but I'm not sure I would do too much shaking up of the team if, if they want to be aggressive and put the chips in fine i think that kind of the context around the season and given they're probably not going to fire west um i wouldn't be too urgent about making a change especially if it's going to involve draft capital or um, guys like denny and kisser now am i saying those guys are untradeable that's that's not what i'm saying but if you're only going to get back a, a mid role player or something like that well maybe you just push that to the off season. And then once you figure out uh, how stable your coaching situation is, you you get an official idea on what Kuzma and, and KP's mindsets are, which is where it gets confusing because that could almost make, make you lean like, okay, well, we're just going to sell now so we don't have to deal with it. And honestly, I, I wouldn't be against that. As you guys know, that's probably my preferred direction. Um, but if you're Tommy and you're trying to win, you're sold on this three – I think you wait until the summer to to make a big move. I don't think that you do that right now. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm unless hoping, some team gets desperate. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. I'm hoping there's, 
you know, a shorter leash on Tommy's, you know, his job. Obviously, that's not been Ted's M.O. Um, I, I don't know offhand how, how much longer Tommy has on his contract, if if any years after this. He's um, only been here for 23 years at this point. So, I mean, that's a pretty short tenure overall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tommy, I'm not... Love that type of job security. Yeah, right. Yeah, if I'm Tommy, I'm not feeling secure in my job at this point. Because for what re- for what reason would you feel secure? You haven't provided any uh, semblance of of a good franchise. You haven't gone anywhere in the playoffs. Uh, so in my eyes, for him, he should be feeling the heat, and he should be you know doing something at the deadline to to try to save his own job. Uh, I don't know if you have another off season if you don't make the playoffs, don't make the play in. Um, and, and, you know, the one thing you can say about Tommy is he's been a pretty decent, uh, you know, when it comes to making trades. He he obviously last trade deadline swindled Dallas. Um, if there I hope there's another rabbit in Tommy's hat this off this uh, trade deadline, because um, it's it's probably not going to get done during the draft. Um, I, I think he's got to get it done here. When Troy Halbert was on here, he said. You know, he he thinks that there's some real pressure on Tommy to GM like this is his last year. And like, I want to see him play like it's a contract year. So uh, this is an organization that kept Ted or kept Ernie for all those years, has kept Tommy for all these years, has kept coaches much longer than they probably needed to. I'd love to see them like say there's a new sheriff in town and clean house on a couple of these guys after a short term, like tenure. I think that might send a message to the rest of the league that like you can't come in here and just bullshit anymore. Sends a message to the players too. Like these guys will be held accountable also. Yeah, I keep yeah. going back to it. Like, you know, what, four months ago now, he was trying to get Spider here. Yeah. So maybe he was already feeling that. Yeah. You know, like you're not trying to trade for that guy if if you're not trying to do something ballsy, right? So we'll see what he does at the deadline, man. But he should he should definitely be GM for his job. No question about it. I definitely agree, and I've I've said this before too. If they if they do make the play in, but then they lose the first game, or if they don't make it at all, then he's one hundred percent gone. Uh, there's there's no doubt in my mind. So I definitely agree with what what Chase had to say because it, there should definitely be some urgency to try and improve. It just it makes me wonder exactly how long his his leash is. And I, and I guess we'll figure out at the deadline, what the situation is. If they make a desperate move where you may argue it's kind of an overpay, well, perhaps the seat is really hot. If they don't do anything or they make another small move, well, then perhaps he's going to get another off season. And that would be a pretty good indication that at least West would be gone, which would fix part of the problem, but uh, wouldn't be too much of a fix long-term when talking about the the big picture of the Wizards because the main guy would still be in charge. So, Yeah, I mean, I think he he's going to be one of those guys where, I don't know, the most Wizards move is that they make the play in and they sell it as we did such a great job given all the adversity we dealt with. And did you guys know that we had COVID and no other team had COVID? And what other <laughs> bullshit excuse they could come up with this year? So they'd promote Tommy maybe out of the you know that front office role. Would, that's our best case scenario. Like, What's uh, Sachi Brown doing these days for the team? Like, do we ever hear anything from from him as the president of Monumental or whatever? Like, I don't know. Let's mix some things up. Uh, guys, this was awesome. Thank you for doing it. Like, in the moment, uh, it made me feel a little bit better. Uh, I almost said it before we started recording that we were all kind of resigned to this fate tonight after a certain point in the game. So 
I don't think anybody was as fired up as, I don't know, maybe some people listening to this would expect. But uh, at the end of the day, the Wizards are going to Wizard, so none of that's too surprising. Uh, this has been Believe in Wizards. Make sure to check out the Wizards of Gallery Place as well. Rate, review, subscribe, both podcasts, all that good stuff. And uh, we were presented by betonline.ag, and we'll all see you on Wizards Twitter or whatever. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube